0: See you next time. (laughs) See you next time. And welcome to another episode of Streaming Science, a creative student-run podcast series from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We bring the science directly to you. The goal of Streaming Science is to increase science literacy through interactive discussion with scientists about topics that affect your everyday life. I'm your host, Brianna Jacobowski, a junior majoring in Agricultural and Environmental Sciences Communication from O'Neill, Nebraska. This episode of Streaming Science is focused on behavior economics. As a UNL student, I was interested in this topic because I have a and business and I've taken classes that have shown behavior trends through economics. I became very interested in farming and ranching trends related to production. To learn more about ag econ research at UNL, I contacted G. Dr. Banerjee is an assistant professor in the Department of Agricultural Economics and she focuses on the study of behavior economics. Um, would you like to introduce yourself and what your title is here at UNL? Hi, Brianna.
1: Uh, thanks for this opportunity. I'm really excited. I am Samantha Banerjee. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Agricultural Economics at University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I got my PhD at Penn State University in 2010 and my areas of uh, interest and expertise include uh, experimental and behavioral economics as applied to study of farmland conservation policies like the study of policies such as the conservation reserve program, decision making under risky situations. As well as a little about looking at how people behave in terms of donations to charities so on and so forth. Can you tell us more about what is behavioral economics. Behavioral economics is a really interesting field of research. It It is relatively new in the economics discipline and what it is is to bring in concepts of psychology the stud, to the study of economic decision making. So uh, the way I kind of would explain it is that traditionally as economists we had been thinking about homo economicus. Uh, uh, the person who, is, uh, who has a supercomputer in their heads and they can make decisions uh, which would benefit them, but in fact, in real in real life, we are not homo economicus, but we are homo sapiens, right? And so we make mistakes. We have problems with self-control. We listen to other people, oh. on and so forth. And what behavioral economics does is that brings these other features, which are extensively studied in psychology, to study to set up a more uh, a richer framework to study economic decision making. And why did you choose to study
0: behavioral economics?
1: Well, I actually came to behavioral economics in a very uh, not in a direct way, but in a roundabout way. I've always been and will be interested in environmental economics because I was very interested in biology and chemistry in high school. But then over during my um, university years, I decided to study economics because that was more, make me more employable at that time. But then when I was doing my MS coursework, I got to know about environmental economics and that allowed me to bring my love of biology and chemistry to my to my love for economics, which had developed by that time. And I and then when I was doing my PhD, I became very interested in looking at people's behaviors in environmental contexts. And that's when I started doing experiments. With human beings, namely co- university students, and started looking at their behaviors. And that led me to be interested in the psychology of human
0: decision making. So what kind of experiments or studies do you do for your research?
1: So, most of my experiments to date have been with university students. They are called lab experiments in the uh, field of experimental and behavioral economics. And uh, I have been looking at how people behave in groups. Oops when they get information about what other people are doing, if they are facing a risky scenario, if they are in a bigger group versus a smaller group. And all of this has kind of has significance for uh, real-life behavior in the context of farmland conservation policies. Uh, Very recently, I have started working on how people uh, behave uh, in a risky situation, namely when they are trying to market their grain and if they are facing price risk, that is that they do not know what price they are going to get for their grain in the future, how does that risk impact how much grain they sell now? So that is something that I'm really uh, interested in and working on at the
0: moment. Then, how do you find the participants for your studies?
1: Um, That is a very, very uh, interesting question. Finding participants is not easy for a wide variety of reasons, but I think I've done pretty well. Here in the last one and a half years, I have built up a database of UNL students who would be willing to be contacted to participate in my studies. Additionally, I have reached out to a faculty uh, slash administrator at the Nebraska College of Technical Agriculture in Curtis, Nebraska and we have reached out to students there and they are very interested in participating in the kind of research that I will be doing in fact the research on risk and grain marketing we are starting data collection in Curtis on Curtis campus this evening Oh wow! Uh huh. And also, other participants include farmers in Nebraska as well as in Kansas. And for that, we rely on connections with university extension as well as the local Natural Resource
0: Conservation Services office in RCS. So, how are you overseeing the experiments done out in Curtis? Are you? Do you go out there, or is there someone there to monitor them for you?
1: A student whose project this is on. So she is traveling with her advisor. So I. Call advice the student and I, I would have gone today but I have classes so I cannot but my student she is very capable and she's been running these experiments in at UNL and so I have no uh, doubt that she would be will do a great job over there. And we have gone, work together to come up with a protocol, an experimental protocol and an experimental software so she knows exactly the steps to follow to make sure that she gets the data that
0: she needs. How do you apply the data that you receive from these experiments to real-life situations?
1: So a a great thing about experimental and behavioral economics, as I see personally, is that a lot of the problems are motivated by things that you see in real life. So my goal, once the data is collected, for any project that I'm doing is to analyze it and make it available. It is at that stage yeah, yeah, to the public in terms uh, through weekly newsletters that we publish through our department which gives them an idea about the kind of research that's being done on uh, within the department as well as for that particular project. Does that answer
0: your question? Yes. Okay. What would you say is your favorite part about what you do? Two things. First
1: is to focus to be able to see human decisions making because as an economist, we do a lot of stuff with models and equations and assumptions but to actually see those things matter in real life and to see it happening in front of you that is great because a lot of stuff with the kind of experiments that I do looking at people's behaviors, you can see behaviors changing in real life, real time and, you, and if you are familiar with the setting you can link it back to the theories that you have studied in class as well as in preparing for that research so that real-time feedback as well as to be able to see how, how people's idiosyncrasies and their you know their quirks and their weirdnesses impact day-to-day decision makings that
0: is fascinating for me was there ever a specific person that inspired you to do what you do my college professor on in, my, in environmental econ she was the one
1: i i think she was very instrumental because After having taken her class and then having interned with her, I became I became convinced that I wanted to do a Ph.D. And that is what brought me to this country. And I've learned a lot from her over the years. So, yep, that's her. What would you say brought you
0: here to Nebraska?
1: I I loved the job. It was a great fit. Um, And uh, because remember, most of my research has been on uh, looking at environmental conservation policies and Nebraska being such a prominent agricultural state, agriculture is a very big part of the economy. There are consequences for environmental conservation as well. And the university seemed receptive to the kind of work I do. So that's what brought me here. And I love I, when I visited Lincoln, I really liked the city and the people.
0: What has been the biggest breakthrough in your research thus far?
1: That is a good question. I won't so break. I guess I won't. I wouldn't call it a breakthrough, but I was very, I was very excited to see this. So I'm currently trying to publish a paper. I am revising it, and that is, the findings in that paper are a culmination of the work that I've been doing since 2007 when I started working on my PhD, where I was looking at how how you can make people coordinate their decisions within the context of a farmland conservation policy and generate higher benefits for everybody. And through about four or five experiments, I finally got to a point where I was able to study of a
0: feature in the experiment, which actually made that possible. So it was a big aha moment for me. That is awesome. So you mentioned you're in the middle of publicizing a paper. Um, Have you publicized any of your work previous to this? I have
1: I have some publications that and those were in peer-reviewed journals, um, which have been um, I am I'm I'm hoping they have been useful to to the community, because I get asked to review papers on those particular topics, and I see some of them have cited my work. So that is that has been good. I also try to make presentations of my research. Uh, to groups outside of UNL because that allows me to con- communicate with people who are not in academia and make my findings public to them. And I also, as I said, I, I write in the weekly newsletters called Cornhusker Economics mm. that's published by the department, which publicizes the research to non-academic audi-
0: and academic audiences as well. Okay. And you mentioned earlier about the classes that you teach, or that you teach classes. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about those classes and what you do in them? Right. So, I teach an undergraduate class on environmental
1: and natural resource economics. And I teach a graduate class, which includes both master's and PhD students on experimental and behavioral economics. And those two classes are very, very different, but I enjoy teaching them a lot because one of them deals with my love of the environment and the other one deals with the my interest and love for experimental and behavioral econ. And in both those classes, my goal is to just make people see the connections and make people see the intuition between different contexts and topics.
0: What would you say you were like as a kid? Oh, <laughs>
1: well, you'd have to ask my mom. <laughs> I was a very, very curious kid, extremely curious. And I, for from a very... A highly urban area and i spent a lot of my time in not living in residential neighborhoods so i did have lots of kids that i could hang out with for a long time outside of school that is so i spent a lot of time just reading and traveling in my head so this was a long time ago <laughs> i was a very curious cat
0: did when you were 14 did you ever think that you would be where you are today actually no, who thinks about
1: being older when are <laughs> 14? Um, actually, no. I I just was very happy to read the books, and I just used to wonder if I'll ever be able to travel far and wide, in the to the places which I read about. So, um,
0: no, I don't think I did ever. I, yeah. Have you traveled to these places far and wide that you dreamed about in your head? Some of them, yeah. Yeah, I have, uh, I, I, I try to travel as much as I can,
1: whenever I can. So yeah, my I think my most exotic location was this island in northern Sweden. And I think that's, I am the person in my family who's gone the more, northernmost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that was pretty exciting.
0: When you travel, are you doing your research there or are you just traveling for fun? Both,
1: both. I, uh, I We have to, as academics, we have to go to conferences. Mm-hmm. So what I usually try to do is that take a few days off and see the sites after or before the conference. That's what usually happens these days but I try
0: to travel for fun as well. So, besides traveling, um, what else do you like to do in your spare time?
1: Um, I like I I like photography. So I when I was I lived a few years in Scotland. So I used to do a lot of photography because I probably had more time than I do now. And uh, I do like to read, or I used to like to read a lot. I have promised, I have resolved that 2017 is going to be a year when I'm going to be,
0: I'm going to take up my reading habit again. Fine. So um, before this interview, I was doing a little bit of research uh, on you, and I was looking at your profile on the Department of Ag Uh, their website, and it said at the bottom that you hope one day you'd like to have two fridges. Yes. Can you explain that to me?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because there's only so much space you have on the fridge to put that fridge magnet there, right? Yes. So I am hoping that, no, I I hope I find some other surfaces to put my uh, fridge magnets on and not two fridges, but I do like to travel a lot. Okay. Yeah, so that's, that's what that was about
0: Okay, I read that and I just had to laugh to myself <laughs> um, Is there anything else that you would like to add or anything that you think that I missed? I guess I would say that it's a great thing
1: that you are doing This is a great idea to get science communi- uh, communicated to other uh, groups of people and whom that you know a person like me might not always get access to and that you know decision making the kind of research that I do yes it has a focus on environmental conservation but that's just one area to which I apply my work my interests are definitely more varied and I'm always interested in hearing about new idea if you or somebody else listening to this podcast has
0: it I'm always open all right good ideas well thank you for joining us today samanti thank you for this opportunity thanks to our guest dr Banerjee, for joining us and to all of you for tuning in to listen to more streaming science podcasts go to soundcloud.com streaming hyphen science i'm your host brianna jacobowski